This is the TFA Joklin Podcast. We exist so that people far from God can experience fulfilled life in Christ. If you guys got your Bibles, if not, we'll bring it up on the screen for you. But feel free to take notes, to read along, and really ask the Holy Spirit of what God wants to speak to you. Uh, what does God want to unlock in your heart? And so today's session, really, we're dealing with uh, the topic is rhythm of the rhythm of repentance. Um, and what that means is that there's actually a cadence, there's a rhythm to us aligning our hearts to God. You know, this word repentance is a unique word. A lot of churches that we don't use this word as much as I think we should. It's an old school biblical word, but what it means, it's a combination of actually repenting. It's coming back in alignment. It's acknowledging where we've made error in our walks with God, acknowledging where God is and where we're not and putting ourselves back into position. And so with that, I believe there's a rhythm to that. Um, if you want another title, I'll like to come up with two titles, but uh, the divine within disaster, how God uses moments like this and how his divinity, his sovereignty, his love and his grace still shows up in these moments. And so we're going to jump right in. Our text today will be Second Chronicles chapter 7, 11 through 15. Got a number of verses for us, so that'll be good. But a little bit of what's going on in this session is that there is a new king by the name of Solomon and he's taking over the throne and his father was David and uh, and before David, there was a king by the name of Saul. These two kings, Saul and David, uh, were actually chosen by God, but it wasn't God's original design or intent. That God originally wanted him to be king. He wanted himself to be king and to watch over his people. But the people said, you know what? We want someone that represents us. We want someone that we can identify with. And so they chose the most good looking to seem to be the most you know, functional, the one that, that would be a great choice. So they chose King Saul at that time. And Saul was an interesting king because because of insecurity, he disobeyed God and he actually had the kingdom taken away from him. And then God set his focus on a young boy by the name of David, who was just incredible. You know, David was like became a mighty warrior, a general. He was a poet and a a psalmist. So much of the psalms and proverbs were attributed uh, directly or indirectly from David. If I could bring David in like current today forms, I guess David would be like Brad Pitt with a kid Cuddy with a combo of those two where, you know, he's like this stellar, good looking warrior kind of guy. But at the same time, he's poetic and kind of emo. And so, you know, you're working with me. Um, But David, because of murder and actually completely sinning against God, he was not able to build a place of worship. So God calls Solomon uh, as David's son to actually bring alignment and to turn the whole nation to repentance and to a place of worship. And so this is where we jump in. Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse 11. And it says this. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place, this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins, restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Here. God comes to Solomon at the beginning of his inauguration as king, and Solomon says, we're going to align the nation to worship. And God says, Solomon, you've done an incredible thing. 
I'm going to be here. I'm going to show up. I'm going to make myself known. But no matter what happens, whether through calamity, through drought, if my people who know me, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, turn their hearts towards me, not only will I restore their land, but I will restore their nation. I will restore them, they're, they're, they're these people that belong to me. And I believe this is so critical because I believe that as a church, we have an incredible responsibility to turn our hearts towards God, to pray for those that can't pray for themselves. And I believe that this is, this verses of, these few verses of scripture unlock what a rhythm of repentance would look like in our lives and should look like in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that we would have that rhythm, the rhythm to be able to get in alignment with you. God, I pray that in this season, there will be visitations in our home. I pray that there'd be moments where you would restore our hearts. Maybe we've gone dry. Maybe we feel like we're just kind of barely making it, but that our hearts would have this incredible, fresh outpouring of your presence in our families, within our children, within our relationships. We pray, Lord, that you would come close in Jesus' name. You know, uh, we live in a world where everyone is trying to stop something. You know, if you think about it, everyone is trying to stop being, you know, gluten. They're trying to stop, you know, eating meat or animal proteins. They're trying to stop dairy, trying to stop cussing, trying to stop yelling at their kids, trying to stop stressing, trying to stop thinking. I think we're always trying to stop something. And I've seen this in myself. You know, I'm always like, you know what? I'm going to try to stop eating bread. No bread, no carbs, you know, just lean green protein diet. I'm going to go for it. And then a peanut butter jelly sandwich crosses my path and I just lose it. You know, there's something about PB&J that just maybe it's nostalgia. I don't know what it is, but them carbs just comes right back and I fall and I feel convicted and I go, why God, why? But I think we spend a lot of our energies trying to stop things. And I don't know if that's necessarily what we were created to do. I don't think when God formed humanity and made us in his likeness and his image, that we would be the bearers of God, that we would represent God, that he created us just to stop things. I actually believe that God created us to start things. And I think it's a lot easier to start things that are actually moving in a healthy, holy and happy direction than it is to just stop things. And I believe that's the way that God designed us. That's the rhythm that God wants us to begin with and to live our lives. And as we're shaping this thought today, I want you to ask yourself this question. When was the last time you tried to stop something and you just stopped? Like you just said, cold turkey, I'm just, I'm done. I'm not going to do this. How difficult that is. And I think a lot of times when it comes to coming to God, when it comes to trying to have a diet of sin, we're like, I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm not going to disobey God anymore. I'm going to try to limit that. I don't think God created us to be on a diet to come from sin. I think God created us to live with an insatiable appetite for his presence. And the more that I'm in God's presence, the more that I'm seeking God, the more that I'm spending time with people that believe and love God, that follow God, that live honorable lives, the less likely, the less I desire to go back to old habits things that actually pull me away from where God is calling me to go. You see, when it comes to change, when it comes to turning away from the things that pull us in the opposite direction, I have this idea that pain or potential pleasure usually precedes change. What that means is this, before we stop eating the Twinkies, a lot of times it requires a surgery. A doctor says that if you continue to have this behavior, there's going to be an ultimatum in your life that I'm not sure you're ready to handle and you're going to have to go under the knife. 
before the marriage gets so broken or so destroyed where your spouse or, or your wife or your husband comes to you and says, I'm done. If you don't change, if you don't make this, this thing move in a different direction, I'm not going to be able to move forward. And many times for us to change, it requires either potential pleasure or some kind of tragedy, something that rocks us, something that hits us to the core. And I don't believe that God wants us to live like that. I think God wants us to live in pursuit of him. You know, that that's always been my heart. And my goal is that I would continue to pursue after God, you know, in my faith. You know, I don't stop being a pastor after the cameras, you know, turn off or, you know, I, I, I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. And I want my life to always carry that. I want my life to always carry that. I'm not just doing this out of performance or or obligation, but I'm following God because I love him and he first loved me. And even in my own life, there are still struggles. Even in my own life, there are still issues that come up, whether it be lust or different things that would come that would want to pull me away from him. But how do I stay engaged with God? It's his presence. And it's actually repentance. It's actually repentance has been the key for me to continually to align with my God, uh, to align with God. I remember when I first started following Jesus, I was 15 years old and I went to church because there was girls at church. And uh, I said, I'm going to church. And I remember the pastors preaching and I lifted my hands and I ran to the altar reluctantly because everybody was like, go to the altar. I went to the altar and I tried to go back into my old life and I just couldn't do it. But I couldn't I can't I can't lie and say that was the only experience that I had. That one moment of repentance that kept me pursuing after Jesus. No, there were multiple moments where I found myself in church or at home or in my bedroom. And there were seasons where I knew that I was out of alignment and I had to come back to that that similar altar moment, that moment where I said, God, I'm broken. I'm messed up. I'm trying to stop this and I can't. I need your presence. You see, even in this moment where everything that's going on in our world, it's not just our nation, our world. Where's God? Where's the divine in the middle of all of this disaster? Well, one of the things that we have to understand is this, is that a lot of times God will allow pain. God is not the direct author of pain, but God does allow pain. And God always, even when he's dealing with a nation, even when he's dealing with a world, God will allow pain to bring redirection. God will allow pain to bring repentance and to bring alignment to our hearts, to our nation, and even to our world. Now, it's, it's not easy to say, well, is this God's judgment? You know what? I don't know. And I, but I, what I do know is that when you look at God's character and his nature in his entirety, when you look at Jesus, is that God always lives with this place of love. Even in 2 Chronicles 7, verses 12 through 13, God says, there may be moments where disaster and tragedy come, but there's a responsibility to that. And even in the midst of that disaster, that trial, what is God's desire? God's desire, I believe, is revealed in 2 Peter verse 3, 9. And it says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What does God desire even in the midst of disaster? What is the divine word of God even in disaster? That if there's disaster, God wishes not that people would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, that they would know his son, they would know his love, they would know his grace. You see, the big idea that I want to unlock for us today that through these few verses is this, when God's people, you and I, the followers of Jesus, take responsibility for their personal rhythm and the world around us, healing comes to us and our land. There is a responsibility that Christ's followers have in this moment. 
So the first big idea, the first thought that I want us to understand is this. You and I, we, we have a responsibility. It says in verse 14, if my people who are called by my name, God says the responsibility of his people in the moment of disaster, they have a responsibility. God looks to his people to see how they will respond. You see, we have to be careful in this moment that we just don't take uh, we, we just don't pray for God to alleviate the pain that we're currently experiencing without asking God, is there something that you want to do to change in me? You know, many times we want pain, but we're unwilling to respond to God's request or command to change. That a lot of times God can even allow pain to bring redirection, to bring adjustment and to bring sobriety of where we are. And here's the thing. God does not look to those that do not know him. God looks to those that do know him and he says, if my people will, then I will. See, many times as Christians, we have an unrealistic expectation of those that do not believe in God, for those that aren't following God. Like we're expecting for them to be faith-filled, to have hope, to be able to trust in, to wait for a cure, to wait for all of these things. And if God so chooses to bless medical technology right now in this moment for a cure to eradicate corona, I believe it. God, all glory to God. If God wants to bring a miracle and show that he is faithful to bring healing, I believe it. God can use whoever, whatever, whenever he wants to. But one of the things that we have a responsibility is this. Don't ever expect for the world to do what the church was created for. The church, the Christians, the Christ followers, the followers of Jesus, they were created to bring hope. They were created to stand in the gap for those that couldn't stand in the gap for themselves. That we were here. We have been called out of darkness to pray, to speak life, to pray for those that are far away from God. And if we shut down and hunker down and get caught up in the midst of all of the chaos, we could lose the responsibility. We can find ourselves defaulting to fear. Jesus even told us this. He says, God's people are the salt of the earth. That salt not only brings out flavor, but it's a preservative. It actually would cause fruits and vegetables and meats to last longer. It brought life. It preserved life. And God's word says, if my people will, I will respond. I love this. It talks about throughout scriptures that you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. And what that means is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is your moment to stand in the gap. What am I asking? I'm asking that we take these moments and we come to God with a level of sobriety like we've never had before. And we say, God, search me, know me. If there's anything out of order in my life, God, come and bring healing to my soul so that, number one, I can be in alignment. I can be in rhythm with you. But Lord, that I can take my responsibility for those that are around me to be a royal priest meant that a priest would go and make sacrifices on behalf of the people. They would communicate to God and communicate for the people. And God's word says that we are a royal priest. As we were worshiping just a few moments ago, what we're saying is this, Lord, we're asking that heaven would come down and touch this living room, this car. But Lord, my city, Lord, that you would touch hearts, that we would stand in the gap. And that's why the church was created for. I don't look to find my hope on CNN and Fox. I look to find my hope that is in God. 
One of the things that we're going to see is throughout the scripture, what God is asking for us is one, that we have a responsibility. But secondly, we have a response. And the response is with repentance. Verse 14b, again, it says this. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Look what God is saying. God is not saying stop sin. Just stop sinning. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop doing the bad stuff. No, God says, recognize who you are and where you are and begin to seek my face. And in the process of seeking God's face, we start to behold how good, how amazing, how loving, how faithful he is. And when it comes to those moments of compromise, we realize it's not worth it in light of what I have found in God. God doesn't just want us to stop. God wants us to start something. God wants us to go deeper in this moment. And there's a response that we have with repentance. And just the other day, you know, before all of this happened, it was just at the beginning of all stuff that was going on with Corona. We were meeting with a couple of leaders and pastors. And, you know, Thursday morning we were praying and we were crying out to God. And one Thursday morning we got together and I just felt the weight of what was happening. Not just what was going on in the world, but what, what, what I had created. And the Lord started to remind me of a number of verses, but he remind, reminded me of this one verse where Jesus said, don't say you'll go to the market and do these things. He says, don't get so fixated thinking that you're truly in control. But he, the, I felt like God reminded me that Jesus says, say, if the Lord wills, then this will happen. It was so simple, but... What I started to realize is that I had created this idea in my mind that I was in control. I was going to make this happen. I was going to do these things. And this was my next step. And really, I was doing these things, which were good things. But I hadn't fully consulted God on how or when he wanted me to do these things. And this repentance came into this heart. In my heart, there was a level of brokenness. And one of the things that, that God was telling Solomon in this text is this. When you see sin... Don't run away from God. Run towards God. When you see brokenness in your marriage, don't run from the issue. Run towards God. When you find this continual thing that can happen in addiction and you find yourself constantly in this moment of falling and, and getting back up and falling, don't run away. Don't just get fixated on stopping. Run towards God. Come to God. And when we come to God with our brokenness and we come with a heart of repentance and we're saying, God, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I was out of pocket. I was out of alignment. What happens? He says, you humble yourself. You seek my face. Turn from your sin. Confess and begin to walk in the opposite direction. Healing is on the other side. Maybe you're in a place where you're like, Pastor Jules, I'm doing pretty good. Corona has kept me on quarantine. I haven't even had the opportunity to sin. Praise God. You're holy by consequence. Praise God. But more so, this is an hour for the church to rise up and to even pray for those that can't pray for themselves. This is a moment for you and I to come to a place in our moments in the morning in our quiet time when we begin to pray for those that are far away from God and begin to ask God, God, would you begin to speak to them? God, would you meet them? God, would you surround them? God, those that are in fear and intimidation, go before them. This is a moment of repentance and finding ourselves back into that rhythm with God. How does the rhythm of repentance work? How does repentance unlock the healing of God in our lives and for our nation? The first thing is this, get low. 
And some of you thinking, not that kind of get low. Just be clear. I'm not talking about that get low. Get low where you humble yourself. And this is what happens. And I think these are keys in, even in our relationships. If we take these truths and apply them not only in our relationship, our vertical relationship with God, but our horizontal relationship with others, it will bring healing. When we get low by taking responsibility for what we've done and where we are. See, that's one of the things that God calls us as Christians is that even if our nation or our world is out of alignment, that God doesn't call us to be just judgment, judges of the earth. He calls us to be priests of the earth. He calls us to stand in the gap and to pray for those that can't pray for themselves. He calls us to stay in the gap, to be as a beacon of hope and light. And I would even call us and rally us to say, God, if our nation, if our world has misstepped and has forgotten you and excluding you, Lord, we repent. God, bring alignment and start with me. The second thing that we see as far as getting back into the rhythm of repentance is look up. Placing God in his rightful place. I want to encourage you in this season, don't let your worship become just dedicated to Sunday. You know, one of the things that we've, it's been a challenge is we always try to bring worship in every facet of our lives. For our sanity, because <laughs> kids are running around, but we try to turn on worship and put worship throughout the house and find different worship songs and creating playlists. Why? Because we want our attention to continually be going vertical. We want our eyes and our focus to be on God. My help is not going to come just from a cure, but my help comes from God. And when we're in a place of relocking or unlocking our rhythm and getting back into a place of being, being in rhythm with God and in sync with God, it requires that we get low, begin to look up and set our attention and our time and our priorities to God. And what did God tell Solomon? He said, if my people will humble themselves, seek my face in turn. That's repentance. It's not just stopping. It's the process of starting and walking where God wants us to go. Now, I want to be very clear. There are areas in all of our lives that we've allowed to just go on. Areas of brokenness that we've ignored. And I believe that God wants to use this moment to bring restoration to our souls on a personal level that could even be contingent to bring in restoration at a global level. You see, I want to look at, as we begin to come to a close, I want to look at kind of two kings, one by the Saul, name of Saul and David, and they made two mistakes, but one response worked. You know, Saul, he was this good looking guy, but he was on an, an exploit to go and conquer a land and God had gave him very specific things to do. But because of his army, his general, because of the influence of the world, he allowed greed and really insecurity to rob him of obedience. And he failed. And when a prophet came to him and said, Saul, what is going on? God told you to do something, but I see that you did the opposite. What did Saul do? He didn't respond to repentance. He responded by blaming those around him. And the kingdom was removed from him. David, the one that God identifies, this man is a man after my own heart. David gets caught up in murder and adultery. He totally blows it. He goes after a woman, has sex with her, kills her husband in the process. And another prophet comes to David and said, David, you're out of alignment. But what was David's response? He said, God, to you alone have I sinned. Wait a minute. That ain't true. <laughs> David, you didn't mess up someone's family. You literally leveraged your power 
you, you were hypocritical. It's not just God you said. So here's what David had. David had a revelation. No, I'm not belittling what I've done to someone else, but I recognize my ultimate offense for my rebellion, for my actions has offended God. And when I come to a place of repentance, of realizing the severity of my situation and I repent to God, it brings alignment to my soul that I can even ask forgiveness on those at a horizontal level. See, God was trying to deal with David of let's go vertical even before we focus on the things horizontally. But once David got into alignment, he was broken. He, he had this area of his heart where he said, God, I've offended you. And even though he repented, it didn't diminish that there were earthly consequences that he had to walk through. It didn't minimize the severity of his actions. But what it did do, it brought healing to his soul. But God says, David, I accept your repentance. And David was still known as a man after God's own heart. Now, if we're you know, comparing the two, it doesn't seem like Saul's sin compared to David's sin. It seems like David was way out of pocket. But here's the difference is this. God was looking for a response, no matter the severity of the sin. God was looking for his people to respond to say, God, I'm coming back to you. And I think God is still looking for that. One realized his sin rebelled against God, not just hurt people, not minimizing the destructive activity. But here's what we see. Just like God promised Solomon and he did with David, God restores. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from the ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. Where does my help come from? It comes from God. Healing can come from Immunity, healing could come from, you know, a miraculous drug that, that can totally take out Corona and healing can come from God. And I think God will use whatever he wants to. But the healing that needs to take place in our soul can only come through the rhythm of repentance. Repentance is not a one time thing. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of saying, God, search me. Anything that is out of alignment. And I believe that this is a starting a fresh start for many of us. Maybe you're far away from God right now and you need to get into a rhythm of repentance. Maybe you walked away from God, walked away from church. It's as simple as coming to God and say, God, I'm broken. I'm far away from you. Forgive me. And it's not just stopping drinking, stopping smoking, stopping. But Lord, I want to start this journey with you. Maybe you need repentance on a vertical level in your marriage so that it can bless horizontally in your relationships around you. Maybe this is a great season to say, God, I'm broken. I'm broken. There's something out of me that's out of whack, out of alignment. But I recognize I'm acknowledging where I am. And rather than running away from you, I'm running towards you. What I want us to do in this season as a church, I want us to pray for ourselves most definitely. But I want us to begin to pray for our nation. I believe that God wants to bring healing. And I believe that God wants to ignite his church like never before. And by us aligning with God through the rhythm of repentance, I believe healing can not only come to our souls, but healing can come to those around us. I believe like never before, our society is looking for God. And we have a responsibility and a response to show them who Jesus is. I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. 
I pray for those that are far away from God that, that are coming home. I pray, Lord, that we begin to pray for them, cry out for them. I pray that we would see crazy, crazy turnaround stories of miraculous change in the lives of those people. But also I pray for the church. I pray, Lord, that if we've taken you lightly, Lord, if we've taken you for granted and we believe more in our ability and not in what you can do, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us. We come to you right now, Lord, and we repent on behalf of our own selfish ambitions. But Lord, what's going on in our world? We've pushed you out and we say, let the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, draw near to us. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on how you can stay connected, follow us online or visit tfho.church. 